It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the under 100,000 pay-per-view buys to my endeavor bottom line, Nick John Braccia III. Nick, we're going to talk about last weekend's Car- Kai Car France versus Albazi matchup and, and the controversy surrounding that decision. And we're going to dive into and break down, give our predictions for UFC 289, Nunes versus Aldana. It's good to be with you, brother. Yeah, it's good to be with you too, especially as I remain not quite a comfortable, but a cozy-ish four points ahead of you. In our yeah. competition, I've been the superior uh, fight picker and analyst uh, to date as we approach uh, the halfway point of the year. And uh, yeah, wh- yeah, whatever, whatever makes you feel I good. Look for, I'm, oh no, this is objective. I'm just looking at the numbers. <laughs> but uh, I will admit, I did catch a bit of a gift last week. You always I, catch them breaks. You're always, you catch all a lot of decisions are going your way. I, um, but that's okay. I'm I'm fine with that. I'm still gonna win at the end. I, you know, I do think that Kai Kara France uh, deserved to win that fight. Yeah, man. And in which case, we would have been within three points. Um, and uh, and and I honestly thought that Jin Yu Frey deserves a decision over Reed, but that was a close one. I could have gone either way. It's just that's the thing is you are tending to pick the, the close matchups that the judges will favor one person over the other, even in a close matchup that could easily go either way, right? Like there's well, got M- credit handed to for that. MMA decisions, I think, very was very much in favor uh, yeah, the, the majority the, the majority had read in that one. But again, uh, all these close decisions tend to be going your way. But that's a credit to you, I think, as a picker. You're you're probably valuing the right things that, that the judges are more likely to favor. Um, well, it's working out for you. But Albazi Car France, that was a I one thought Al- I thought Albazi would land would land bigger shots um, than he did. I was I was betting on his uh, on his power in a firefight, even though Kai Car France has great power too and is a much better boxer. Um. Yeah, I got lucky because yeah, d- definitely, definitely a fortunate decision in that one. The the great majority of of uh, the MMA decisions, and, and I think like overall fans and and analysts and 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 handicappers, all a lot of them thought that Kai Car France uh, clearly won a competitive decision. I guess. Yeah, I mean, Abazi won the only do- only you could say round five was fairly, you know, for, round five was very clear. Um, round three was was dominant for Albazi, not like ten eight dominant, but it was. Wait, you thought you thought Albazi took round five? No, I thought round five oh, was for, was yeah. was very was indisputably clear for Car France, but I wouldn't call yeah. but I wouldn't call it necessarily a domination. I thought that round three was domination, borderline domination territory. Um, well, uh, p- positionally for sure. Um, and I think he had, I think he was close to a submission at one point, but there wasn't a whole lot of damage dealt in round three. But a clear cut round, no question. Round three, round three belonged to Albazi. Round one was competitive. I thought Car France took it fairly clearly, but again, a competitive round. Round two could have gone either way. That one could be a round that scored for Albazi, and I think, I think at least a couple of those judges scored it for him. Rounds four and five, I thought were extremely clear. In fact, Nick, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the stats to you quickly. In that fifth round between Albazi and Car France. Car France landed 27 strikes, significant strikes. Albazi landed five. Five, Nick. I, get, I don't know what I don't and know one what of the judges. Nick, S- Sal Diamato probably. No, it was actually Chris Lee. Oh. Sal Diamato got that one right. Chris Lee gave that round 
to Albazi. Like that, like that he, in itself, that he robbed, Chris Lee robbed Carl uh, France of the win by giving that round to the wrong guy. Because there's no, like, I, I, I don't have a problem with scoring the second and third rounds for, uh, for Albazi. In fact, all three judges scored the second and third rounds for Albazi. I'm okay with that. The second round is debatable. Uh, it's a close one, but I edged it toward Albazi. But every other round should have gone to Carl France. And if you're going to give any round to Albazi outside of the second and third, it should be the first round. Um, Chris Lee gave the fourth round in which he got completely outworked in every way. Yeah, possible. that one didn't make any sense to me. Um, no, it really didn't. And, and again, that one would have swung it to Carl France, right? That was the difference maker. That major mistake by Chris Lee, who... Um, yeah, I'm going to quickly click on him and see what his, well, some of his other Ka- decisions are. Mm-hmm. Kai Carfrance did make a major mistake, though, which is he did not really start implementing his jab until the second half of the fight. And his jab's pretty good. Um, I actually disagree. It seemed like he was not oh. really implementing his jab. He was doubling and tripling it up, man. Early on? And Yeah, uh, maybe... May, uh, yeah, pretty pretty early on. And maybe it was less effective. Like, he started to triple it up uh, in probably the, the late second, early, early third round before he got taken down. But... You know, he was he was consistent with that jab. His fakes and feints were fantastic. His foot <coughs> was pretty solid. That's really what I think allowed him to edge uh, edge uh, Albazi on the feet. So you think the judges positions? Uh-huh. You think the judges just favored Albazi because he had Car France on his bike? He was just like he was pressing the action, what they I used mean, to call octagon control. Maybe, but again, that second and third round, I understand giving it to Albazi. I gave him those two rounds. The fourth round is the one that was the swinger, right? The first round for Saldi Amato to give the first round to Albazi is not terribly unreasonable. That fourth round for Chris Lee to give that fourth round to uh, Albazi is Isn't, atrocious. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's he he got outstruck five to one in that round. Like that's not that's not reason that's not even close to reasonable to give that round to Albazi. Um, and so yeah, like I think uh, I don't know if Chris Lee was having a sandwich during that particular round or what, but. It ended up going the wrong way for that reason specifically. Again, Albazi, like, Sal D'Amato's scorecard looked better to me than Chris Lee's, even though they both scored it for Albazi. Oh, I'd have to go back and watch four, because I know, you know, they said something during the broadcast. It is true, which is not all significant strikes are created equal. I can't remember if there was anything that really knocked Car France's head back. I'm just wondering what he saw that made him tilt that way. I honestly um, wonder. Unfortunately, we don't get to hear from the judges, so so we won't know. But just quickly looking at it, Albazi landed two head strikes, Two body strikes, one leg strike. That was it. That's all he landed that round. And so, obviously, like, obviously, he landed at 17% clip that round, whereas Carl France landed 27 strikes, landed at a 41% clip. He landed 12 to the head, 7 to the body, 8 to the legs. And that's the thing is those leg kicks, I think, uh, is a big part of what should have swung. By the way, that first round, 13 strikes for Carl France. Six to Albazi. I realize, you know, it's not that simple because in the second round, it's 16 Car France to 11 Albazi when it comes to significant strikes landed. And I edged that round for Albazi because I thought that he landed the bigger strikes. He, he kind of froze Car France, if only for a moment there. But, man, there's really no excuse. Um, if, you, if you look at the entire fight, it's funny. Even that third round that Albazi clearly won, he landed only three strikes to Car France's nine strikes. But it's because of that control, obviously, that he, that he won that round because he had a close submission attempt. Um, he had 23 seconds of control in the fourth round. Albazi did. Um, it just it doesn't it does not make sense. It really doesn't. Um, but uh, but but it, it is what it is. Um, we are within four points of each other. As our listeners know, we each uh, take turns picking fighters on the upcoming card. One point for a correct pick. Uh, two points for a correct pick of an underdog of plus 150. 
to plus 249. You get three points if you get a underdog correct of plus 250 or above. And uh, and in this one, both of our uh, my underdog opportunity, which was Jim Miller, who came in with fucking heat. If you're telling me that he couldn't have taken Jared Gordon's head off, Jared Gordon, who admitted to experiencing that that concussion, let's quickly talk about that man. That that whole situation. Jared Gordon was booked a couple of weeks after clearly being knocked out cold. He was booked in a fight for six weeks following that knockout loss. And then in the in the lead up to the fight, he's being interviewed by the media. And he's being asked questions, and he's honest. He's like, "Yeah, you know, I had a I had a minor concussion, but I worked through it, and I did some things in order to help with it. Um, but you know, I'm okay now. I'm good now. We take risks. We're fighters. This is what we do." And Dana White pulls him right, and Dana White blames him for it. Dana White threw him under the bus. I mean, it's fucking amazing. You scheduled this man, and he was knocked out cold six weeks ago. You scheduled this guy. You asked him if he wants to fight. Why do you act surprised as if this is maybe an unconfirmed concussion? The dude was out. What I don't, the fuck do you think happened? Well, I, it just makes me not understand the the protocol that the UFC has and the and the communication between them and athletic, and doctors and athletic commissions. Like I don't I don't understand it because somewhere there should be a spreadsheet where where it says it says in the left column Jared Gordon and in the right column it says concussed and then in the column next to that it says X number of days suspension. Like right, right. If, I, if I that think, if that, that doesn't the happen, then the commission. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is if you can get a doctor to clear to clear you, you're generally good to go. The problem is that the Nevada State Athletic Commission basically basically does whatever the UFC wants them to do. Dana White used to complain about the chairman. The chairman got replaced. I assume at his he was the one that was pushing for it. He was one of the people at least. The chairman got replaced, and now the Nevada State Athletic Commission does just about everything the UFC wants them to do. And it makes sense because the UFC brings a shitload of revenue to that commission, right? But yeah. that's what it is. It's, it's, it's essentially good old-fashioned corruption, and somehow Jared Gordon looks like the bad guy. It's amazing how, like, if, if, if Dana White likes a guy, how he just tends to go on the positive light when it comes to that guy. No matter what that guy does, he will tend to lean on the positive light. And if he doesn't like a guy... If a guy doesn't really do anything wrong, but does something that might displease him slightly, even though it's fair, well, he's also Jared Gordon. Shit on him. Jared Gordon's also kind of an un, like a uh, unmarketable, you know, sort like sort of grump with a seedy history, who made made one of you know made one of their their prize prospects look weak, and that yeah. prize prospect has unfinished business. But I'm talking about Patty Pimlet, of course. With um with Jared Gordon and if and if Dana White can can like squash that and move Patty Pimblett onto the next chapter he will, um yeah some other yeah, no doubt you know this this card was was not very good there's a few other things worth talking about Tim Elliott uh, uh got over all the the personal problems uh, and won convincingly uh, Zaleski yeah. dos uh, dos Santos. Um, looked looked really good. Looked well rounded and was able to beat Anurmagomedov, which is rare. Anurmagomedov, who took a shot at him after the fight or after one of the rounds, I can't remember. Yeah, that that uh, was weird. I'm guessing he was concussed, dude. That was odd. We saw the um, uh, we saw what could be have been the retirement fight of Andrei Arlovsky. Um, he's getting just a little too easy to find, and uh, he should not be losing to this level of competition just based on his skills and how. I mean, technically, he should be at forty-four years old. Though. That's really the thing, and he was he was uh, yeah. doing well. He was winning the fight. He just got caught with a big shot by a giant man. Yeah. Um. You know, it was just like a, a momentary mistake that that cost him the fight. A heavyweight, this can happen. We know Andre doesn't have the greatest chin in the history of the heavyweight division, despite his successes. Um. And this is the level of opposition he usually beats in a close decision. 
Um, he just got caught, man, by yeah. a, by really an inferior fighter. Let's face it; like Dontel Mays is nothing whatsoever special to 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 be excited about as a prospect given this win. Yep. Alex Caceres, Daniel Pineda gave us a fucking war, dude. That was yeah. absolute insanity. Really impressive. He's stuff. got Bruce um, Bruce Leroy's become a you know he's he's become a, a a fight not to miss after you know all yep. those years ago um, on tough. The big surprise, the biggest shock of the night, though. Um, was late replacement uh, Mohamed uh, Nayamov right. getting pretty outclassed by Jamie McClark, uh, Malarkey until he wasn't. I picked Malarkey. I'm a Malarkey stan. Um, he's one of those, you know, scrappy, always brings it, going to be a fight of the night contender. Maybe in some ways, maybe the heir to like a Ross Pearson kind of guy. Um, in fact, but, I think he gets trained by Ross. Really, Pearson. I didn't know that. That's hilarious. I'm, I'm pretty sure. He does um, and I for, if, if I knew that, I forgot it. That was unco- unconscious uh, parallel. Yeah, I was just yeah. trying to think of yep. guys that made me make me feel uh, Malarkey's fights remind me of. And he was in control, and he actually got caught in a moment that felt to me like Izzy, <laughs> like Izzy catching Alex Pahea. Like he was in control. He was mixing things up. I don't know if he got a little. Uh, a little too predictable, or Nayamov got the read on him. But a guy who looked like he was outmatched all of a sudden looked like someone who was, um, you know, taking in data and land and landed the perfect shot at the perfect time. Malarkey's a durable guy. He's been hit harder than this. It just, I, I, I don't know where his head was. Maybe he thought that he was in, in, you know, in cruise control, but he did not see it coming. Uh, he got caught in that right after a level change. Really, it looked like. Um, he was dipping in, and uh, Nayamov caught him with a short hook, if I recall. I think it was a short. I think it was a short right hook. Um, yeah, I, th- I think what we're noticing with Malarkey is that strikers are his big, um, is is kryptonite, right? We saw that with Brad Riddell, who really roughed him up over the course of three rounds in his UFC debut. We saw that against Faraz Ziam, who won a close decision against him, did more damage. Jalen Turner shut his lights off. Now we're seeing Muhammad Makayev. Uh, Michael Johnson should have gotten the decision over him, right? So, like, his record, you know, it's a little bit spotty, especially if you factor that Michael Johnson fight that should have been a loss for him, in which case he's only got wins over Francisco Prado, Devontae Smith, Karma Worthy. These are not, like, UFC-level fighters. Right? Karma, I, would, I think Karma Worthy is a UFC-level fighter. Oh, I'm well, sorry. A, no, I'm sorry. I'm a fighter I, with a medium chin. I was, um, I was conflating. Devontae Smith? No, I was I was conflating uh, Kama Worthy with Chaos Williams. No, yeah, de- definitely de- definitely a, a different beast. But that's the thing, Karma's Worthy's chin. Skill wise, he's pretty good. He's offensively dynamic, but his chin is certainly not UFC level. He's the kind of guy that get touched that gets touched by again by a guy like Jamie Blarkey, who hits decent, but is not a serious power puncher, and he would gets you, shut off. Would you say his chin is unworthy? Unworthy. That is um, very. So what's your? I just the reason I brought this fight up is I wanted I want to hear your thoughts on the upside of Nayamov. I think Naimov is going to fight at 145, and and listen, he has he has he has a shot to do well there, but he's only eight and two right after this fight, after this one, he's only eight and two. He trains with Elevation Fight Team, which is to his credit when it comes to his cardio, when it comes to high level training partners, with high level coaches even, right? But you know, it, like like I wonder what he'll do against the athletic dynamos at that division. Getting a what looks like to me a very fortunate shot doesn't necessarily suggest that he's ready for the elite at 145 but I think if the UFC gives him a slow trek up he might he might be able to do okay here got it so should we move I'm on? not I'm not like crowning him as a as a you know as a potential uh, title challenger anywhere in the next couple of years that's for damn sure um outside of that let me see if there's anything worth Damon Damon Blackshear had a 
really he spectacular performance against Luan Lacerdo. And Lacerdo, I think a lot of people gave him credit for having a close fight with Cody Stamen, who is remarkably harmless. DeMont Blackshear showed, like, with, the, with his athleticism and his perseverance, that he can, he can do some fucking damage. John Castaneda had a good win over the other uh, fighter coming out of uh, Tajikistan on this card. This is, I think, the first Tajiki fighter that lost in the UFC. Um, I believe only the third fight involving a Tajiki fighter. And uh, Daniel Santos looked really good against Johnny Munoz. I'm, I'm high up on Daniel Santos, the training partner of Rafael, uh, Charles Oliveira, excuse me. And then Jim Miller obviously just took Jesse Butler out of there. If you are not... If you're not a high-level fighter, you're going to have a hard time with Jim Miller in the first round, especially if you're making your UFC debut on short notice. We've seen it time again. That'll do it for that one, Nick. Uh, let's dive into this card. I think our listeners know the rules. I talked about it earlier. I believe it is me who has the first pick on this one. And this is, in my opinion, not the greatest card to have the first pick on because it's hard to be confident, super confident in any of these fighters, even the ones where the odds seem so far apart. I think for my first pick, I'm going to take a risk on David Dvorak over Steven Ursig. Ursig trains with Jack Della's team on and off. He's a big flyweight. He's 5'9", strong, powerful physically. Good takedowns can be dropped, uh, but he's pretty gritty. He'll survive those rough moments and, and get back at his opponent. The thing with him is that if you have a right hand and you throw it at him, he's probably going to take it on the jaw. And David Dvorak has a good snappy one-two. He's got really good leg kicks. He's got a good ground game. And I think like his ground game should be enough to avoid takedowns, even if he gets taken down early. I think he should be able to take over after that first round, even if it's a competitive first round, and should be able to put it on Erzeg. Right? Erzeg might have some potential. He might do okay. His chin concerns me at 125, though, being dropped as many times as he has. But I tend to think this is a, a rough first matchup for him in the UFC. I agree. I'm a, I'm a Dvorak stan. I like that guy. Um... Oof, I guess I'm going to go with the main event next. Like, at any point now, the wheels can fall off um, of Amanda Nunes. Like, we don't know how bored she is, how she's doing with family life. Like, she looked pretty good making her adjustments to beat Juliana Pena, but I don't think that we ever thought that Juliana Pena was a world, a word, a world beater. But the fact of the matter is that getting a title shot when your last three fights are a loss against Holly Holm, a win against Yana Santos, and a win uh, against Macy Chason... Um, that's not the roughest road to the shot. <laughs> and I'm just, like, I haven't been, you know, aside from her win with, with against Caitlin Vieira, um, I just, I, I have a hard time uh, seeing, you know, seeing a, a path to victory here. She's got, there's, um, Nunez is going to be more, I think, as good as Aldana's power is, I think Nunez is going to have more power. Um, I don't think she's any, she's no jiu-jitsu threat that she hasn't seen before. Like, I just, I don't, I don't get what her superpower is. I don't, I don't see, um, I just don't see a path to victory here unless Nunez just isn't that interested in doing this anymore. That's the thing, right, is Nunez's hunger is what's in question, given what happened against Juliana Pena. we got to remember that um, Irina Aldana's superpowers are a stiff jab, a solid right hand, and a heavy left hook. And what worked against Amanda Nunez a couple of fights ago against Pena was a stiff jab. That's all it took. By a mediocre boxer who can't really fight unless she's moving forward. She's not effective with her strikes unless she's moving forward, whereas Aldana... She's good on the offense. She's good on the defense. She's good. She can she can counter really well and effectively. 
So there's definitely a risk here for Amanda Nunes. Like, how much heart does she have? I hear that she basically trains on her own with some pretty good coaches, but her main training partners are her wife, uh, Nina Nunes, and uh, Ariane Lipsky. Like, that's that's not the level of opposition that's necessarily going to prepare you for Irina Aldana's style. Irina Aldana trains with a really elite team. We've seen it now um, with... with uh, her name escapes me. Who just won the Who just won the flyweight title, Nick? Alexa Grasso. Alexa Grasso, right? That's a training partner of hers. Like she sees the possibility. She knows this is possible. She knows she can do this based on what she just saw her longtime friend and training partner do. So, like, I, I absolutely think Arena Aldana is a live dog here. Um, it's all really about what what approach Amanda Nunes takes. We know Reyna Aldana, like when it comes to the grappling, she can be held up against the fence as Holly Holm showed us a couple of fights ago, right? And and granted, Amanda Nunes is not the type to necessarily go for that kind of game plan. She's going to go for takedowns. If she doesn't get them, I'm not convinced that she's necessarily just going to be be comfortable just holding her and doing nothing else. And so I do think takedowns are going to be a possibility for her. Aldana has an 81% takedown defense, which is pretty good. But, you know, she got taken down by Shazan, who's granted a huge 135-er. Um... I'm Amanda Nunes is a big 135 man. She's huge. Santos was having a little bit of success against her before uh, her lights were shut off by Aldana. Holly Holm held her up against that fence. Vieira, she was able to knock out. So to her credit, right, she's got finishes in her last three wins. That's fucking impressive stuff in this weight division. Even Amanda Nunes doesn't have finishes in her last three wins, and her last three wins are over uh, Pena, Anderson, and Spencer. Spencer went to the decision with her, and so did Pena, right? Like, this is the same level of opposition that Irene Aldana has been fighting lately. In fact, I would argue that Holly Holm and, and Chazon might be, a, maybe even Vera might be either on par or a step above uh, Pena and Spencer. So it's not like the level of competition is that much different, right? This division is relatively weak, but... Again, Irene Aldana's not exactly undefeated. She's had her troubles in this division in the past. Um, I think that if Aldana starts to get some momentum going, and she's the kind of girl that if she gets dominated around one, if Amanda Nunes gets a takedown and controls her and and even lands some ground and pound, Irene Aldana, first of all, is very capable off her back. She had very close submissions over Shazon. There's an argument to be made that Shazon tapped in that first round to an armbar to uh, Aldana, but Shazon did get three takedowns on her in that fight. And... You know, there's it's debatable as to whether Shazan was winning the fight or not, but it was very competitive. Shazan doesn't seem like she's quite on that level, although, in my opinion, between her coaching and her size, her athleticism, um, you know, she she can be in that top five range in this division. Um, look, all else being equal, I'm going to edge Amanda Nunes, assuming that she's going to come with her lunch pail and come to work and come to persevere I, and, and I think work we're on, tough moments. I'm, yes, I'm betting that she will because it's only two fights ago that she got her comeuppance for, you know, having a weak plan. And she did come into that second Pena fight hungry and angry and with a game plan. And she was proud of herself for pulling it off. I don't I don't know that enough time has gone by for her to to slide back and not take this seriously. And I just don't know if – I don't know if – I just – I don't believe that Aldana's the one. So much of it comes down to timing – but um, yeah, timing is definitely I think, a factor, no doubt about I think it. New, I think Nunes should be able uh, to handle this here. I also think in the first couple rounds, I believe Nunes has the heavier hands, um, and she can you know she can be wild and stuff. But if the fight if she does get the fight up against the fence as part of the takedown defenses, I I put my money on Nunes as a dirty boxer. Also, I think her dirty boxing is better than Aldana's. Out in the out in the open in a boxing match, I understand what you're saying about Aldana's weapons. I think up against the cage, that uh, I think 
there's Nunes the possibility that Nunes yeah. is going to bully her. Nunes is going to throw vicious uppercuts um, and hooks. And, you know, I just, I, I know it was a while ago, but we saw how she got Chris Cyborg out of there. And we'll, she did you know, get Chris we'll Cyborg out happens. of there, but how would that fight have gone had it gone the distance? Had, had Chris Cyborg not taken a stupid risk and just ran right into repeated Amanda Nunes hooks? Right? I, this wasn't exactly a technical piece. I don't know, but against the, te- against the technical piece, she made Holly Holm look pretty silly. So... We'll see what we'll see what Nunez shows. We'll see which Nunez shows up. Maybe I'm picking this too early, but when I look when I look at um, there's not a lot of dominant fighters that usually pay off on this card. Yeah, no, no, I do, I do hear what you're saying, and and I don't disagree with you. Like even the couple of fights where the odds are really far apart, it's it's hard to be very very confident in them given the holes that they have. But that's the thing, Amanda Nunez, if she gets clocked with five straight hard jabs, a couple of clean right hands. She's hit that quit button against Juliana Pena just a year and a half ago, right? Like, it's been a long time since Amanda Nunes had a truly worthy opponent in, in Chris Cyborg back in 2018. And prior to that, in Valentina Shevchenko in 2017, right? Like, those are her true, real, elite opponents throughout I, her entire career. I mean, career. I consider... Holly, Holly I can, Holm was pretty good. I consider Holly I mean, Holm to be elite. Good. Yes, I consider those yeah, two fighters to be very good. Maybe particularly in 2019, Holly Holm is up there. It's just, It's just like... It's it's hard to be confident given the quit. She quit against Juliana Pena, dude. Juliana Pena has I mean, a shitload of losses. She's been finished G- a shitload of times. GSP tapped to strikes against Matt Sarah. I know. I know, but GSP is a disciplinarian. This GSP didn't go away from his high-level training partners and high-level coaches and start his own team where it's only him, his significant other, and one other person that he's training with with, with, with some decent coaches, to be fair. But yeah, the, again, there's some real concerns. This is the time for Amanda Nunes. How motivated is she? She has a family. She's focused more on that. She is 35 years old, right? And we know those stats about uh, about being 35 and over. Granted, you know what the crazy part is? She is the younger fighter going into this matchup, which is kind of wild, but obviously Amanda wild. Nunes should have, uh, should have more, uh, more miles on her. Um, look, I, I think... Uh, the, given the three-point advantage, it's worth considering Arena Aldana. But I do agree with you. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume Amanda Nunes is going to come full power and going to be able to get land takedowns and control enough. But man, Aldana could find that round where she does significant damage enough to make Amanda Nunes quit. And we saw that happen very recently. So real concerns for Amanda Nunes in this one. But it will be extremely exciting if Aldana is able to pull this off to make it four UFC champions now. Three undisputed, of course. Um, th- that would be something really, truly special. And I think, again, given the the... The motivation that is provided by by the inspiration, sorry, that, that's provided by seeing her fellow countrymen uh, and women get those titles. I think she's got, you know, I think she's a live dog here. I think she's got a real, real shot. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Dan Ige and Nate Landwehr. Nate Landwehr is super dangerous, extreme pressure fighter. The guy is absolutely relentless. He's also a fucking character. He's absolutely insane. He's really pretty marketable, very likable. Dan Ego though he's the Ego though he's the kind of guy that comes in with his lunch pail every time. He's lost to only the very best in this division, right? He is, to be fair, two and four in his last six fights, right? That is concerning considering he's a pretty heavy uh, favorite here. But he got Damon Jackson out of there. He got Davin, Gavin Tucker out of there. Edson Barboza he won a debatable split decision over. Um, Nate Landwehr is closer to that level than he is to the Mosar Evloves, the Joss Emmett, the Chan Sung Jungs of the world, right? Um, I think Nate Landwehr's durability issue is really the big thing. If it wasn't for that, I probably would have edged him, especially at these odds, right? The problem is that he's run into big shots before. Julian Arosa got him out of there within a minute. Herbert Burns, of all people, got him out of there within three minutes, 
Like, that is concerning. The fact that he could run into a big shot and be dropped. The fact that he tends to have to come back after a rough early going. Whereas Danny Gay has a lot of five-round experience. He's not likely to get tired. Danny Gay hits extremely hard. Danny Gay has a really good, really good grappling game. And he's not the kind of guy to wilt when things get tough. Um, and he's only 31 years old, right? It's not like, even though he has some miles on him, it's not like he's weathered to the point where where shit's starting to really go. Whereas Nate Landwehr, who's got a lot of miles on him himself, is 34 years old. So I'm going to take Dan Ige to pick up the win here. But I see the risk. I think Nate Landwehr is so fucking relentless that he can probably take anyone out of there if you let him go deep enough into a fight. Yeah, I've, uh, I was going to pick this next. I'm a big Ige fan. And uh, yeah, I like Landwehr also. But the fact of the matter is, in the wars that he's been in against more disciplined guys who hit as heavy as Landmare, uh, Ige's chin has held up. He may lose a decision, um, but we haven't seen him get, you know, he haven't seen him get switched off. And I don't think any, even though he's hard hitting, I don't, you know, I don't think he's reckless. Like, I, I don't think a, a Nate Landwehr does necess- is going to do necessarily very well against a Josh Emmett. Um, so I would have picked. I was going to pick Ige as well. I think it's this is the the fun fight. It's the fan fights fight. Uh, you know of this I agree. Uh, of this card. Um, and maybe Landwehr just mm-hmm. maybe you know, maybe you know maybe Landwehr like shocks us and is the first guy to really shut off Ige's uh, lights in the UFC. I don't. I'm pretty sure he hasn't been KO'd before. Um, um, no, I, I, do, I don't. I don't think he's being KO'd. But, but just for the record, this is MMA Masters for Nate Landwehr. Versus Extreme Couture for Dan Ige. So some pretty like high-ish level teams. MMA Masters probably a step below Extreme Couture. But still like like a, like a matchup with some pretty decent teams with some talented guys. Um, but for my next pick, I'm going to go... I think this is on the main card for some reason. I can't uh, fully understand. Is this card in Canada? Yes, it's because it's in Canada. Uh, I'm going to go yep. uh, with the Canadian boy. I feel like this is a hometown hero on the main card. Um you know, being picked to win. I'm going to go with the Canadian, uh, Mike Malott, who's had, uh, you know, a bit of success. He's got, um, you know, he's, well, he, he put out, uh, Mickey Gall, uh, which is, you know, not really a name, but sort of a, a well-known guy, uh, and won his last fight by triangle choke. And he's going in against the American, uh, Adam Fugit, you know, good, good looking kid. Um, but he's also someone who, uh, last time he fought on a Nunes card on Peña Nunes too. Uh, got knocked out by Michael Morales. I I think that this is a get the, get the crowd cheering and, and pumped up before the co-main event and main event fight, uh, WWE style by looking for that hometown pop. And I'm gonna go with uh, Mike Malott. You know, last time um, when when Yosuka Kinoshita was a big favorite over Adam Fugit, I picked Fugit with confidence. I made some money on that fight. I'm like, a, I'm confident in this guy. He's really skilled. He's got a good ground game. He's got real snappy stand-up, really good southpaw kicking game, which we've seen with guys like Leon Edwards. We've seen with uh, with Ian Gary, who did it from orthodox against the southpaw, right? When you have the open stance matchup and you can land those low kicks, middle kicks, and high kicks, it's hard to see which is coming, and it can set up a nasty body shot or a nasty head kick. And... That's that's kind of how Adam Fugit fights. Now, Mike Malott, Mike Malott is is a talented guy. Hits really hard, but he tends to have to come back from some tough moments against a lot of his opposition. I also wonder, what will his cardio be like? Fugit is not the kind of guy to be taken out of there in the first little while. And if you look at, at uh, Fugit's record, right? He's got, let me see, first round wins all the way through. 
He's got uh, all the way back to 2017. He's got a decision majority draw against a 5-4 and four Thomas Diagni. Grant that he was 4-1 at the time, but that's a fight that went deep and it was a draw. And I would imagine he dominated the first round and probably lost the other two rounds, is, is what I would imagine. I haven't, I haven't been able to find tape on that, although that is a Bellator fight. Hakeem Duwadu was able to get him out in that first round. The guy has not gone deep in a fight that he has won. Right, and Fugit is not the kind of guy to wilt. Fugit is not uh, uh, Fugit is not the kind of guy to to just take a shot and drop, as we saw against uh, Michael Morales. Dude, he was doing really well against Morales in those first two rounds. He took that fight on super short notice. I think within a week, and ended up getting uh, uh, getting knocked out in the third round. He did really well in rounds one and two as a huge underdog, and then he won as an underdog against Yusuka Kinoshida uh, with with uh, I think he rocked him standing and then and then finished him with ground and pound. Um, I'm gonna go with the dog here, man. Even though this is in Canada, I know the other guy's gonna have the the crowd. This uh, Fugita is tough. He's relentless. He will not wilt under pressure, uh, and he's not likely to be taken out of there in the first round. So unless unless the knockout against Michael Morales from uh, from last year, about a year ago actually, uh, is going to have an effect on him and and is going to make him susceptible to knockout loss, I think he survives an early kind of blitz and then takes over. So I would have picked Fugit for two points. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Blake Builder and Kyle Nelson. It is hard to be confident in either of these fighters, to be quite honest with you. Blake Builder came in in his UFC debut and looked pretty good, man. He, he had good st- good boxing. Uh, hands were working fairly well. And, you know, a, a lot of lateral footwork, right? He wasn't just standing in front of uh, Shane Young. He, he used consistent footwork, uh, good check left hook, um, control-based ground game, right? Good ground and pound once he really establishes control and feels confident from top position. Body lock takedowns are solid. Good cardio, man. The thing is that he can be dropped, but he does recover well. And Kyle Nelson is dangerous early. We've seen him start to slow down after that first round pretty consistently. He's had good moments against just about every UFC opponent early on, and then things start to fall apart a little bit for him. Kyle Nelson's a big motherfucker, and I can see that being a factor, but I'm going to go with Blake Builder, who should have the better ground game. As long as he doesn't take a big shot early, which is a risk here, I think he should be able to decision Kyle Nelson and, and control him on the ground when he needs to and land that check left hook, occasional kicks from a distance to outpoint Kyle Nelson. I'm with you. I'm with you there. One thing worth noting is like, you know, I'm kind of mad on this card, but we did lose two interesting fights like that would have put this over the edge maybe. And a, and a couple of other stars, like, I mean, not stars, but like Matt Schnell is a, a much more of a name um, fighter for David Vark fight. And we we lost, uh, it was rescheduled, it was Wonder Boy against Michelle Pahea, which, you know, that's a that would have been a really good, like, uh, you know, third fight. In, on the main card, that's a main. That's a main. You know, I'd, I'd much rather have that than Malat Fugit on the main card. Um, yeah, T- Thompson Pereira is a fantastic fight. I couldn't agree with you more. And that would have been, been really good. And although you know, Chris this, Dawkins, Khalil Rountree was a good fight. It, it wouldn't have been. Yeah, it wouldn't have been boring. It would have been one of those nope. really hard hitting. You know, the way that like middleweights and light heavyweights, they're not as they're not as slow as heavyweights, and they hit and they hit <laughs> really hard. About that hard, that yeah. was going to be that was going to be one of those thud fights. Um, right. Probably, probably just grueling, a grueling fight to watch, um, and we lost that too. So, if I sound a little True. less enthusiastic about this card, but um, this is still a me- this is still a, a largely a mediocre card. I don't know yeah. what the matchmakers are doing. I'm not sure what the plan is for all the actual names. I know part of this is like to build up some of these names and to make them into names so that they can use some of these winners from these cards to to, to stack up later cards. But like, it doesn't have to be just barren for months at a time. Between yeah. decent cards, like I know that 
I know that ESPN gives you know pays the money no matter what, and it's not about ratings. But this is, I mean, it's it's rather silly that they think that um, this is enough to really stack up a pay per view. Yeah. And, and for the record, I know I made a joke early in the intro about this being under a hundred thousand buys. It's probably gonna it's probably gonna score around two hundred two hundred fifty thousand buys. Oh, I think you're cra- I think you're crazy. I think it's really? gonna, I think you, I think you're. You think this is nuts. gonna do BKFC level BKFC yeah. level buys? Yeah, I think I think this does. I think this does one forty max. Um, I'm uh, should, should we should we place an over under two hundred thousand pay per view buys bet? Well, I don't know because I don't know if we're, where we're going to get legit numbers from. So let's talk about that later. Um, All right, well, I'm gonna uh, go. It, it's my it's my pick. Shut your please. mouth and listen hey, hey, down. to the champ. We're, we're friends. Listen, everything is going all right. Listen, you are not the champ. You are the listen challenge. to the cream the of the crop. The You're the challenger who won rounds you, two and three, but you've got two more rounds to go. Uh-huh. You get one. your cup of coffee. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, oh, God, this is also disgusting. So I'm not going to pick this fight now, but the Russian sniper, Nazardine Imabov, and Chris Curtis. Chris Curtis for the second time in a row. This guy is main card money. He is main card action. Both of these guys, I believe, are deserving to be in the main card. Instead, they're in the prelim spot that they hope will be exciting and get people to then convert and buy. Chris Curtis may be a victim of his own success. He had that, you know, that Gastelum fight, which if I recall was on that was the was the the prelim main event. It must have tracked well because now he's the prelim main event again. And I'm kinda of bummed for him, but whatever. His money's probably the same. His exposure's probably better. Um, but I'm going to pick. They, they like those exciting. Uh, they do. Potential and I understand that. And that's going to be a starts. great fight. But I'm not going to pick that. Instead, I'm going to pick the shitty fight that's opening up the main card, which is you know late to late to MMA in life. Eric Anders, who to his credit like tries hard um, against uh, Mark Andre Barrio, uh, another Canadian fighter. This is one of those things where Mark Andre has been uh, hurt badly recently, but he won his last fight and looked pretty good. Anders has looked a bit better. Maybe his gas tank's slightly under control, but his body type, it's just tough. It's tough to go hard and fast for these rounds. And what he's going to go up against against uh, Barriol is a is a guy who's crafty. I just I think it I I think Anders Anders wins when he can get guys in real trouble and do do like, you know, do big damage, but moment to moment transition to transition I think he's going to get outcrafted and outskilled here. I see him, you know, I see him losing a decision where he's just never able to uh, to land the big blow. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. It, it, the, the version of Eric Andrews that came out last time against Julian Marquez, that aggressive, just like ferocious motherfucker, that dude can beat a lot of guys at this level in the UFC divi- in, in the UFC middleweight division, or is this like middleweight division? Mark Andre Barriou is kind of on that level, but. Marc-Andre Barriou has got, he's got that relentless pressure game. He trains with Kilcliffe FC, which is a pretty solid team. I know he's a, he's a Canadian, or at least he, he has historically trained with them. I don't know if he switched back to Canada for, for a local card. But he trains with some really high-level fighters overall. And I could see that being, a, that being a pretty decent factor here, right? The fact that he's got some high-level training partners who are putting the grind on him regularly, whereas Eric Anders does not. Eric Anders trains somewhere in the Midwest with some team. When he went to fight ready, he looked good. But I don't think he stayed there, and I think that can make a difference for him as a good team. He doesn't have the best team. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna agree with you on on, on Mark Andre Barriou. The risk here is with Eric Andrews, who has serious power. We've seen Mark Andre get knocked out, especially early in a fight before his chin gets warmed up. So there's a risk here, but I, I do agree with you on the pick. Um, 
Hard to be confident in any of these last, you know, handful of picks that we have coming up. You know, just to be clear, the only, that only happened once, right? That happened once to uh, Chidi against Shidi and Jaquani, who like was on one of those Houston Alexander blitz runs where I just think that the way he was coming at guys was a little bit different. But he's been in I mean, there. Chidi's fast. He hits incredibly hard. He's very technical. Before like his mental focus breaks apart. So you know, early losing to him by knockout early isn't bad, but his chin could be affected. You know, could be affected by that. That was early last year, to be fair. It's been about a year and a half, which is to his credit. And he's fought, um, and he's fought since then twice he, or he three did, times. He it's just, yeah. it's just his his wins are over some pretty mediocre. They are level competition. Abuaz Atar, Dalcha Lukamumbe, and Jordan Wright. Julian Marquez is probably by far his best win. Whereas if you look at Eric Andrews, it's kind of similar, right? Outside of a, a bad decision. His wins are not over UFC level competition. Yeah, Darren Dawkins yeah, is out of the UFC now. I mean, Darren Stewart is out of the UFC now. Right. Gerald Mirchart is, you know, it was a debatable decision that probably should have gone to Gerald Mirchart. Vinicius Marrero is out of the UFC. Tim Williams is out of the UFC. Marcus Perez is out of the UFC. Rafael Natal is out of the UFC. Uh, he did he did uh, score a win over Brendan Allen prior to his UFC debut, but you know it, it doesn't look good as far as like the kind of opposition that he can beat. These are not guys that stick around at this level. To be fair, might my, my go for both of them for the most part. Just Julian Marquez is a pretty good fighter. Um, I agree with you on that pick. I, I'm surprised because I feel like you tend to pick Eric Anders in close matchups more often than not. But I think you're making the right call here. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Jasmine Jesadavicious and Miranda Maverick. Here's the thing. Miranda Maverick, I've said this before. Offensively, very, very talented. Defensively, she is porous. She is a good offensive dynamic striker. She's got power. She's got explosiveness. She's got good offensive takedowns. She's got good offensive grappling if she's in top position. But if you throw strikes at her, she's going to take them in the face. If you go for a takedown, you're probably going to get it. And you're probably going to hold top position for the remainder of that round. That seems to be the trend with her, right? It all depends on what her opponent decides to do offensively. That kind of decides whether or not she's going to have success. She beat Shayna Young, who's not barely UFC level. Sabina, uh, not UFC level, let's be honest. Sabina Mazo turned out not to be UFC level. She got a win over Jillian Robertson, which is impressive, right? She was able to initiate and get those takedowns before Jillian Robertson was able to. She did lose a close split decision to Macy Barber, and... You know, which, which again, is a debatable decision, but it's a tough opponent. Aaron Branchfield beat her pretty decisively, but that girl could be fighting for a title any time now, right? So it's not it's not exactly an embarrassing loss. Her resume still looks pretty good. Whereas Jasmine, Jusevich, uh, Jusevich, blah, Jasmine, who is Canadian, by the way, who's the local who will have the support of the crowd, one, uh, sorry, two and one in the UFC with a loss to Natalia Silva, who looks like a fucking world beater so far. She did beat Kay Hansen, which is impressive. And she has a win over Gabriela Fernandez, who, you know, we're, we've yet to decide whether she's UFC level, really. The thing about Jasmine is she's going to go for takedowns. And if she can get takedowns on Miranda Maverick, she is going to hold that top position. So to, to imagine that she can get two rounds like that is not out of the question. Because of the level of competition, because Miranda Maverick takes a real elite fighter beater, I'm going to edge Miranda Maverick. But a plus 250, it's really tempting to beat Jas- uh, to pick Jasmine for three points. Um, I'm going to make this pick, but I might just change my pick for three points and take the risk depending on depending on how things are uh, going, uh, how the how the weigh-ins look, etc. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep a close eye on this one. I was going to take this for three, and I'm oh no, I wasn't because that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're the biggest Miranda Maverick fan. You like I am, fan. but she JJ really impressed me in her fights, and I know that those guys that that do the podcast out of Canada who are really smart do a ton of research or super high on her. I don't know who they've picked. I don't listen to their picks before we record, but she's she's what legit. Guys are you referring to um, those two brothers. 
Those two Canadian brothers, they do a terrific podcast. It has all kinds of motion graphics and stuff. It's called, uh, oh my God. It's like MMA Fight Night picks or M- like I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. You've, okay, you've you've mentioned that before. I I have seen yeah, like these, a clip or two on two, YouTube, but yeah, I haven't they're seen too charming. They're it. very they're very good. Two charming, right? Charming brothers, much 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 younger than us. Probably could be our sons, or at least my son. <laughs> um, Man, you have to be you have to be like you know under seven years old to be my son. I think right. Uh, you know you no, can, you're yeah, all, I could have had, I could have had a kid in, at twenty. Yeah, in some cultures you'd be a grandfather like me. Um, so That's ridiculous. Not, not, ridiculous. Not, not ridiculous. Um. So I'm gonna, god damn it, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna pick. Who you go with, boy? I'm gonna go. I, I wanted to leave this for you to pick, but I guess I'm gonna have to do it. Um, I'm Believe gonna, yourself. I'm gonna pick the co-main event. Let's go, Nick. And let's go. Oh god, I'm probably gonna make up my mind while I'm talking. The or I am gonna <laughs> make up my mind while I'm talking. Both of these guys could finish the fight on the ground or on the feet. I truly, I truly believe that. I believe Chucky Olives can knock out Benil Dariush. I believe that Benil Dariush can, can ground and pound Charles Oliveira or possibly knock him out standing, although I think that Oliveira is the better striker. Dariush is the, is the better wrestler, but I got to believe in this fight that Chucky Olives is going to make him pay for movements. I believe that Olives is more dynamic um, I, he's beaten Poye, he's beaten Gagey, he's beaten Chandler, and all of those guys, I believe, are better strikers than Benil Dariush. Now, Benil Dariush has a great, you know, takedown game, like, as those, like, Islam Makachev, who just defeated Oliveira does, but I, I feel like Dariush's entries you know, as we've seen, can be, uh, you know, can be countered. We saw what Edson Barbosa did. This is really, really hard because we've seen Dariush get knocked out. We've seen him get buzzed. And Oliveira has had the, wore the fragile label for a while. But I also don't think that Oliveira will be able to submit Dariush from bottom position. I think Dariush is one of those guys who has no neck and he's super, he's super, super strong. Um, I believe that Charles Oliveira, as a plus one twenty five underdog in this fight, is going to knock out Benil Dariush. He may, he may not, he may do the thing where he knocks him down and then he's dazed and he's able to get, an, he's, you know, he's able to get a, a choke, but it's really just, you know, what I mean? Because I don't think, I don't think he's going to get just like a clean submission on Dariush, but he may be able to choke him out on the on the other side of uh, knocking him silly. I think Benil Dariush will get knocked silly in this fight. I think Charles Oliveira is too dynamic a striker, uh, and that's where I stand. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. It's not an unreasonable um, kind of conclusion to come to. If you look at their last five fights apiece, we know that, <clears throat> we know that uh, five fights ago, this is when Charles Oliveira beat Tony Ferguson where Dariush had that extremely back-and-forth war with Jokar Close, who was largely harmless at a high level, right? He's not a finisher, but he had Dariush on all kinds of skates. I believe that was the last time we saw Dariush in real trouble, though, right? Since then, he ran through Holtzman. He beat up Ferreira, made him made him give in, uh, like, like made him lose heart. He dominated Tony. That was, a, that was a split decision, to be fair. Against Ferreira, yeah, I think... Yeah. Uh, 
The Ferrero one? That, yeah. That, that's, that's, it, it, seems, it seems silly. If you, if you don't mind quickly looking up MMA decisions, I'm curious if it should have been that, that competitive. I don't remember it being that way. Um, dominated Ferguson, and then he did really well against Gamrot, and he was an underdog in that one. This is the guy that was supposed to be the better wrestler who was able to take him down. Couldn't, man. The scrambles of Daryush were too fucking good. He's a really, really, really high-level grappler. I do think, like, at, at a close range... Alex uh, Charles Oliveira has insane strikes. His elbows, his knees, his short punches even as he c- kind of grabs that collar tie, they're nasty, man. And particularly when he's on the finishing path. After he's hurt you, he gets to that close range and finishes like he did to Michael Chandler. So on paper at that range, Charles Oliveira has the edge. At middle range, Charles Oliveira, probably the he- probably the heavier hands, the way he hurt Gaethje and the way Gaethje spoke about his power. Gaethje's fought some serious hitters, talked about his power like it was on a different league, right? Benil Dariush... He can hurt motherfuckers with that left hand. Don't get me wrong from that southpaw position. But um, I tend to think Charles Oliveira has the edge there. At long range, Benil Dariush has the edge. His kicking game is really solid. That left kick is nasty. That southpaw left kick game. We've, t- we've spoken about this before. The, the one that Mirko Korkop kind of brought to high-level mixed martial arts, uh, mixing up the body and head kicks and leg kicks, and you don't know which kick is coming, and you get caught in the wrong spot on that liver, which is on the right side of your body where that left kick is going to land. You get caught uh, on that temple. You're probably going out. Um, but Darius doesn't necessarily employ that game to finish guys, right? He mixes in those kicks. He hurts guys to the body, but he's not necessarily going for that head kick as much as he should. I do think Darius will have the wrestling advantage. Oh, yeah. And Darius, from top position, I think he absolutely can control Oliveira and look dominant. Um, whether or not he can finish him depends on if Oliveira loses enough heart. Because Oliveira, we've seen him break before. We saw him break against Makachev last time out. So that button is there. That button is clickable. And the more recently you, you hit that escape button out of a fight, the more... Uh, easy it is to do so in the future again. So uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I guess I, I, I guess I'm going to go with you on Oliveira here. My my initial thought was to edge Dariush. I guess I'll go with you on Oliveira here. And, and what I've noticed is a trend, and maybe this is part of the reason for your success is that you tend to pick the co-main event and the main event, which are you know tend to be fighters that we're more, more familiar with overall. And I wonder if that's going to be the the thing here because I, I'm I'm like at the edge of my seat till the end of every event, till the last couple of fights to see how the how the scorecards shake out, but um, I've been doing more undercard picking lately. But this one, then general, yeah, yeah. But, um, but I, yeah, but, I do. But, but I think I, I, th- I think even last week's event, I believe you had both the co-main event. And I did. The main event. It's just like, but I mean, come on, is Alex um, is Alex Saras Daniel Pineda really a co-main event? I mean, on that fucking card. Oh, I mean, on it's just in general. Card? It's just like, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Well, but again, known come up like really well-known fighters, right? Like we're familiar yeah. with both those guys more than we're familiar, honestly, with Albazi leading up to that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so so look, I I'm gonna I'm gonna end up agreeing with you because this one's hard to pick. I, I initially thought I would favor Darius. I do think Darius can probably get consistent take. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna switch my pick. I'm gonna disagree with you. I think Darius can get consistent takedowns, but you're right. He gets clocked clean a couple times. That fight could be over that simply. I just feel like with Charles Oliveira constantly moving forward, Darius knowing that takedowns are gonna be an opportunity and top position is gonna be a good spot. Also, Darius, if he knocks down Oliveira, similar to that Makachev fight, Darius is not gonna be afraid to go into his guard like did uh, Poirier, not. like did uh, like did some of those other guys that Charles Oliveira was able to beat, like did Gaethje, right? Um, Chandler was able to have success from, on him from top position. So I think if Daryush is the first one to hurt him, he's going to do just fine from top position. He can even sink in a choke and win that way. Um, but we have seen Daryush lose to Michael Chiesa by submission. This was several years ago, granted, right? So so Charles Oliveira gets your back. He has a really and decent I, shot. Of, yeah, of and no Olives isn't the biggest guy in the world because he did fight at 145, but... True. I thought Gamrat looked. a decent sized guy. He's. I thought Gamrat looked so. I look. I thought he looked a, a weight and a, a weight class and a half smaller 
than than uh, than really? Vigil. I thought he looked so okay. small in that fight. Okay. And um, yeah, I just so like you think there will be a size discrepancy here, even though no, I don't. I don't think it's gonna. I don't know. I don't think. I think Darius looked over dominant against Gamrot because he was fight. He was fighting a smaller guy who wasn't as strong. And Oliveira has been in there with beasts, with fucking silverback gorillas like Gagey and Chandler and Poye. Those guys are monsters. They are but big dudes. those guys dudes. were also guys that he had such a huge ground game advantage over that not only was he just better than them there, but they were afraid. Well, they were all be- be all three. Position. I think all three of them were better wrestlers, but they're not. Um, they're well, not. Actually, but, uh, I would say uh, Charles uh, Oliveira. Uh, uh-huh. he's a better, Oliveira is a better grappler. Um, right. I'd say Charles Oliveira is a really good offensive wrestler. It's his defensive wrestling that's lacking because good. he yeah. doesn't tend to put much focus on it. And I think that's a mistake. I think that's part of what cost him against Mahajev, and it could be what cost him here. I just so think gonna, I think it's. Well, let uh, me just. I, I'm. No, I'm gonna. It's tough because you could end up being right, but Ola, I just feel like Oliveira's got more and sharper weapons on the feet, and I know it's. I know it's three rounds. I yeah. just think if it's your car close, can tag. Benil Dariush, that, that Oliveira yeah. has hurt guys with pretty good, you know, striking defense, and he doesn't and do chins. it and good chins, and he doesn't do it by accumulation. He's a finisher who has great timing, precision, speed, and just killer, you know, just killer shots. His knees, his elbows, his front kicks. Yeah, no doubt about it. That, that's yeah. so. We'll see. I'm really excited for this one. I can't wait to pirate it. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing is about uh, about Darius is that with Oliveira walking forward, he's defensively his defensive uh, submission game is not elite, although it's pretty good. His defensive wrestling is not that great, and his defensive striking is not that great. He's kind of like Miranda Maverick in that way. Um, will his pure offense be enough? Will Darius not tag him on a counter as he walks right into it? Is is part of the question here? And again, <clears throat> Darius will not be afraid to get into the top position and potentially dominate from there. Yep. I think whichever guy's in top position is likely gonna gonna have control. Yeah. And by the way, just and a lot of it does depend on who gets there. Yeah. Just kidding. I would never pirate a card. It's despicable behavior. No, you. I, I. I know. I know you would. You would never ever do that. And mostly, you say this because you're afraid of Dana White's wrath. It was just. It was, no, it was just making a joke. So. I know, I know. Um, so my next pick, and we only have three fights left. Um, two of them will be official picks for us, and the other probably will not be. I think I'm going to pick from the Diana Belbita versus Maria Oliveira matchup. Oliveira's decent at a distance, iffy, striking. Like, like she's effective. She's aggressive, right? Her takedown defense is not very good. Doesn't cut off the cage well. She just kind of follows girls. Her clinch game is decent. Right hand is pretty long and effective. Belbita, she's got solid leg kicks, good clinch takedowns. She strikes as she exits the clinch, which I like a lot. Like, that's something that's missing from a lot of people's games. Originally from Romania, but now trains in Canada. So this will be kind of a semi-hometown thing for her where, you know, she doesn't have to travel the kind of distance that Oliveira had to travel to get here. By the way, quickly, about uh, Oliveira, looking at episodes one and two of uh, of MMA, uh, of uh, UFC Embedded, Nick, it seems like he was in Brazil as of, like, Monday or Tuesday. Like, how, how long is this guy going to give himself to, to travel all the way to the Great White North and be a, be a kind of uh, be adjusted to the time difference and all that? Like, that's another factor here, man. Darius does not have to travel that far. He's not that far off in time. So that's another factor for that matchup. Like, I, I have concerns about that kind of decision-making of him and his team. By the way, quickly, this is shooter box versus shooter box when it comes to their coaches and their lineage, which is particularly cool and particularly fascinating. Um, I'm uh, Diana Balbita, uh, again, she's, she, she's, I think she hits a little bit harder than Maria. She has a better ground game. She has better wrestling. 
I got to go with Belbita, although I could see this being a very competitive fight. I think she's got more of the UFC rounds. She's got more UFC success at this point. She's not beating like high-level UFC opposition at all, but Maria Oliveira does not fit that description. What you got next, man? No, I had myself on mute. So you picked, uh, your pick there was uh, Belbita? Yes. Oh, I'm typing, sorry. No worries. What you got next, brother? Uh, okay, I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with my man. Listen, if there's any fighter that over the last couple of years um, has, we've watched build incredible confidence in the cage, it's Chris Curtis. He's looked really, really good. Um, and he doesn't look any worse when the opposition gets better. Um, you know, he, he, Kelvin, Kelvin Gastelum fought the best, showed up as the best Kelvin Gastelum he has since the Adesanya fight. And had it not been for the headbutt, like Curtis probably would have won that fight. It was yeah. really, really good. He's also an extreme couture fighter. He's with a terrific camp. We've got on the other side this guy with a, a lot of promise and good, good technical skills, the Russian sniper, Imavov. Um, but he's the guy who's lost to Phil Hawes, a guy with some power who, you know, couldn't really get it done against Sean Strickland. He's also with a camp, MMA Factory, where aside from like Cyril Gaon, right? I think that's Cyril Gaon's camp, who's you know who got kind of embarrassed, frankly, in his big moment, in his in two of his big moments. Um, not a lot of other guys. Embarrassed against, uh, I would say, not embarrassed against Gaon. He should have had. He snatched. Well, let's put it this way: he snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Yes, um, definitely. Bad IQ. Yeah, and you know what kind of what kind of partners does he have over there? What kind of skill? Meanwhile, you know Curtis is this guy is you see, he's on Twitter all the time. All he talks about is fighting. He's got a perspective on everything. This guy lives and breathes it, and his confidence. I don't know how bad that that headbutt got him, but I got to believe he takes hits like that in in training. He seems like a hard sparrer. Um, yeah, against a guy who got decisioned by by Phil Hawes. That's a bad look if you're going into a fight with with Chris Curtis. He's got pop. He can. He showed last fight. He's not just counter punching. Like he can do volume. He can bring it. And Imovov's one of those guys, one of those precise strikers who you know kind of kind of waits. He's a sniper. He kind of waits for the waits for the kill shot. A lot of precision. I don't want to call him a point fighter, but because um, he's got because he's got power. But he's um, you know he's not very reckless, and I don't think he does very well in a brawl. And Chris Curtis can bring the fight anywhere. He's surprising to me, the underdog. Um, but I, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Chris Curtis get a KO. Or it, and I certainly have conviction that he will do enough damage uh, to get a decision. He's not going to get stuck in a staring contest. I think this. I think this last fight proved to him that he can. He he's can be up there with title contenders and the best in the world. And it's not like he's going to get put on his back in this fight. This is going to be on the feet. And I, I trust this, you know, this little bomb thrown motherfucker. You're on mute. Or I can't hear you. Yeah, I was on mute. Uh, the thing about Chris Curtis is that he is the kind of guy that if you stand right in front of him, he's going to do really well. He's going to see shit coming. He's going to counter you extremely effectively. If you come in on him in a straight line and you go back and forward in a straight line, you don't use any lateral footwork. He's going to time you eventually uh, like he did with Joaquin Buckley. But Nasser Adinimavov is the kind of guy who's going to move a lot laterally. He's much bigger than Chris Curtis. We're talking a, a five inch height advantage of six, three to Curtis's five ten, 
right? Those things could be a serious factor. Chris Curtis did not do well uh, in his matchup against Jack Hermanson simply because Jack Hermanson moved laterally. He did not stand directly in front of him. He got frustrated. He got emotional. He lost his shit and lost the decision pretty clearly and then was being a bitch about it after. I think Imavov is capable of that, but you're right. It's hard to trust in that fucking camp. It's hard to trust in MMA factory. Um, they don't have the best coaching. The coach sounds like, honestly, like a mediocre human being on top of not being necessarily the best MMA IQ coach. Um, and, and you're right. They, they, they just, they're missing elements of the ground game, of the wrestling, of uh, tactically that a lot of these high-level gyms have. So I guess I'm going to, I guess I'll agree with you by a slight margin. It's just extre- like, again, this is the last pick between us for a reason, right? Nasruddin Imavov versus Chris Curtis on paper is a close fight. I'm also surprised that Imavov is the favorite because I thought I might snag him at, at underdog odds. I just feel like lateral footwork is the answer to Chris Curtis. And it's not like Nasruddin Imavov has a bad chin where he's likely to get dropped, but Chris Curtis doesn't need a bad chin to knock somebody out. So close fight on paper. Um, I, I, I guess I'll agree slight, slight edge to Chris Curtis because of Nasruddin Imavov's long travel, longer travel, mediocre team. But on paper, the stop matchup, if these guys both trained at really high-level gyms and had good strategies, I would favor Nasruddin Imavov. He's got the height. He's got the footwork advantage. He's not going to stand directly in front of Chris Curtis. He's not going to give him as many easy counter opportunities. He's going to have a better kicking game than Chris Curtis. Um, I like the way that Chris Curtis attacks the body, and I could see that having an effect. But Imavov was tough enough to go five rounds and survive uh, against Chris Curtis' training partner, Sean Strickland. But... Chris Curtis was in Sean Strickland's corner and was giving him advice on how to beat Imavov, effective advice. And so on paper, Chris Curtis should have a pretty good idea what, of what Imavov brings to the table. I'm going to agree with you by the, cl- by the closest of margins because Imavov trains with a shitty team. And then we only have one fight left, the Aur- uh, Auri Kilang versus Ayman Zahabi matchup. Zahabi's well-rounded. He's He's got like particularly pretty strong power in his punches. Pretty good ground game overall. Uh, not not the like not the most active fighter. Fights every every so often. Has been dealing with injuries. I think he had uh, I think he had uh, um, I think he had a kid recently. He what's interesting is he's coached by his brother Faraz Zahabi, but I don't think he's managed by him anymore. I think he switched to Danny Rubenstein, who's a pretty good manager, pretty well respected manager. I believe the manager of uh, of uh, Brandon Moreno. Um, I'm going to pick Zahabi here, who's the underdog. I think Zahabi's crafty enough. Uh, it's just a question of can he get tagged by a big shot by Ki Lang. As long as Zahabi stays physically busy enough, he's well done, well-rounded enough to outcraft uh, Ki Lang, I think. So I'm going to I'm gonna edge Zahabi really close, but it's hard to be confident in either of these guys. Yeah, I'm with you, you too. I'm with you, too. The other thing is, like, it's weird because, like, I feel like when Zahabi first showed up in the OC, you know, he lost his first two fights, I believe. Um, he was. I felt like he was kind of positioned as a rookie, and it wasn't that long ago. Dude's 35. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, technically, I think I think he might have debuted something like five or six years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's just it's take it, like he's just super super inactive. If you 2017, right? So we're talking about six years ago almost when he made his UFC debut against Ricardo Ramos. Um, so he was he was in his 20s still. You know what I'm saying? Like it, that can make a difference. But you're right, he's not a young guy uh, in a in a relatively young man's division facing a 29 year old at 35. Dude was born in 1993 uh Ariki Lang was so you know not not necessarily like a big a big thing in Zahabi's favor and, and that's a fair point too especially in these lower weight divisions 135 145 125 if you are you know if you're a 35 and above it makes a big difference as far as your speed your reaction time etc your durability so you're making actually a good point that 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 has me almost edging the opposite direction but again this is a fight that could go either way I'm gonna I'm gonna bank on Zahabi but um quickly our picks are my first pick was wait David just Devorah, to wait hang on was like, just to be clear that's a swing pick right yeah, okay. that, that's a swing pick in case another fight. I would, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm airing Zahabi right now as of, as of this it. moment. 
Understood. So I took uh, David Dvorak as my first pick. Dan Ige as my second pick. Blake Builder as my third pick. Um, Miranda Maverick as my fourth pick, but I might just go for the three-pointer with Jasmine Jusadavacious. My fifth pick was Deanna Belbita. I took both of the women's fights in this one, huh? Um, Your first pick was... Oh, you you actually did take uh, Nunez Aldana. You you have Amanda Nunez as your first pick. Second, you took uh, Mike Malott, which I disagreed with. Third, you took uh, Marc-Andre Berriou. Fourth, you took... Charles Oliveira to beat Benil Dariush, and your final pick was Chris Curtis to beat Nasruddin Imavov. Uh, we both, uh, you know, we're both leaning towards the hobby on that on that unpicked fight between us, Nikolai. That will do it for this one, man. I, I assume there's another really shitty card coming up next uh, next week, Nikolai. I wouldn't expect anything less from the UFC or anything more, I should say. Um, Let me quickly look at the schedule. Belter 297, by the way, Yal Romero is fighting Vadim Nemkov, which is a pretty pretty intriguing matchup. Uh, okay, we've got Jared Kananir versus Marvin Vittori coming up. Let me see what the rest of the card looks like. Uh, Armand Saryukan versus Joaquim Silva is a great fight. Um, Saryukan deserves a, a much higher step up, but I'll, I'll still take Saryukan on a, on a fight night card. Muslim Silikov versus Nicholas Dalby is going to be exciting. Nicholas Mota versus Manuel Torres, I guess, whatever. Uh, Let me see. Armin Petrosian's on the card. Pat Zabatini's on the card. This is garbage. Yeah, largely. It, it largely is, if we're going to be honest. Let me see if there's any other... Uh, Miles Johns versus Honey Barcelos. That's not a bad fight. It's, it's an intriguing fight of guys that could have been. Ronnie Lawrence versus Daniel Argueta is not a bad fight. Yeah, not, not Jago Jumagul. Yeah, but it, this, this last one, last they rescheduled Emmett Tapuria. And, like, you know, Emmett Tapuria as a main event with Vittoria Cannonier as a co-main. All right, you got my attention. And Saryuken yeah, yeah, yeah. Saryu on the card also. That, you know, yeah. that suddenly makes it interesting, but... Yeah. And I, you know, I like Vittori. I hope he, he wins this fight. He probably will, but like he just fought. I don't know. I'm just like, but it's like great a fight between two guys who absolutely cannot beat Robert Whitaker. Um, Robert Whitaker or Israel Israel Adesanya. Yeah, yeah. I t- these guys lost to number one and number two. And to be fair, for Vittori, those are his only losses in the UFC. Is well, to, outside of Antonio Carlos Jr. back in 2016, but his only losses in the last. In the last what five six years in the UFC, were to those two guys. Yeah, There's although a, a lot of about. people picked Deleeds against uh, to you know to win that. Yeah, last a lot fight. of people thought Deleeds won that fight, I and, to... and I think I uh, I think I edged him for two points, and I thought he won the fight. I thought he did more damage, but uh, but you know he uh, Marvin Vittori's durable. He stays composed and he and he keeps on trucking no matter what happens in the fight. Yeah, he um, should be able to beat Cannoneer. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's that simple because Cannoneer has only lost to those two guys in the last five years as well. Only lost to Israel Adesanya. Yeah, and, and, he, Williams, and so. previous to that, he's lost to really big punchers, and Vittori isn't a huge puncher. Um, right, that's the, the, you're right. That's the thing, is, is that there's a, a big disparity in punching power, but both guys are pretty durable. Both guys are hard to put away. Both guys are hard to hurt. Both guys have gone five rounds. So it's it's not a bad main It's not a bad five-round fight. It's just the whole card overall. Is it's just where do, they go, where do they go from there is kind of the thing. Neither, neither one of them right. is going to, you know. Um, and I'm now, glad they're facing each other rather than like another up and comer who they're eliminating from the title picture because that's that's what they have. Yeah, and they're they're lately. like Roma Deleeds shouldn't have been matched up with Vittori. Roma Deleeds should have gotten a different matchup that might have set him up for a title fight. And they're in uh, in these these are guys who are in purgatory for who a little while you know became intriguing potential uh, opponents for Pehea, and now they're not. That is true. Unfortunately, not. That would have been, that would have actually been very interesting to see either of these guys face off with Beha- Alex Pereira. Now we're getting Beha- Beha- against John- Jan Blachowicz, which is which I am not complaining about. That's yeah. fantastic. 
That was a great matchup. Nikolai, that'll do it for this card. I am uh, looking forward to connecting with you next week. Looking forward to seeing the result, man. I need to inch this. I mean, we're not far apart. They're going to be wrong. I know. This is old. I look, at, I look at the way that I picked here and everything. Like, it could be... Listen, if that... If Miranda Maverick, you know... This is a pro- this is another like prospecty loss for her. That's gonna that alone is gonna put you in the pole position. Well, only if I switch to ja- Jasmine. Oh, because you're not currently switched. Yeah, yeah. yeah d- t- t- technically, I'm I'm edging Miranda as of now. It's just defensively, she's so fucking porous that Jasmine has a shot. I'm hearing I'm hearing that Jasmine got injured in camp too. I just got a text. Is that really true? Are you fucking with me? You just don't want me to switch that pick. Is that right? <laughs> All right, Nicola. Not saying nothing. I don't reveal my sources. Okay. You don't you don't have those kind of connections, especially in freaking Canada of all places. Of all places, it's like seven hours for me. Okay. Um, well, you have a lot of connections in Canada. <laughs> I got some people. All right. Uh, not not in the MMA world. If you need sound design, there. All right. On that note, see you next week. See you then, bud.